Welcome to the Harvest Bible Chapel of Winston-Salem podcast. We believe in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. For more information, visit harvestws.org. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning. How we doing? Doing good? Well, I've met uh, some new people that I didn't meet before uh, that haven't been here before. So my name is Johnny Pereira, as uh, DJ kind of introduced me. And uh, man, I, my wife is Lori, so she's sitting there. I won't have her stand, but she's sitting there in, uh, in the front. She's definitely my better half, so make sure you get a chance to meet her uh, at some time today. But we are so excited uh, that this will be the last time that we have to get on a plane and go back to Chicago. Uh, and, uh, and so we are at the tail end of, uh, of our time up in Chicago. For those of you who don't know, we have been up there since uh, September and uh, going through some training, just learning the Harvest DNA and the DNA that makes up this church and, and learning more about how Harvest does church planting and, uh, and so it has been a great, great time building relationships uh, with uh, Harvest Bible Fellowship and the leaders of that, um, and that will benefit us tremendously in the future. And, uh, and so it's been a great time, but can I tell you this? Like, I'm ready to be here, if you didn't know that already. Uh, I'm ready to be there. I'm sure you're ready for us to be here. And, uh, and so we will be here, Lord willing, we close on our house on December 27th. And, uh, and so we'll be down here the 26th, close on the 27th, and then we're here for good. And we're excited about that. And um, Lord willing, uh, January 1st, I'll be here, I'll be preaching, and I'm so excited about that. So you can pray for us about that, that uh, our house, we won't have any hiccups. Those of you who know, when you go through that whole process, it's like super stressful. And, uh, and so pray for that, pray for our kids They'll be transitioning to Jefferson Elementary School and Jefferson Middle, and uh, our kids are Lily, who's 12, Lucas, who's 9. They've had a wonderful time up there at Harvest Christian Academy, and, uh, and God has really used that in their lives during this time of transition, and so, but they're excited to finally have a place that they can call home as well. I'm so excited that Dave can be uh, here at this church uh, next week, and it's been awesome to develop a relationship with Dave and Bree and their family, and uh, just great, great people. Let me also say thank you so much to Hayden and Heather for pouring your lives into this church, and let me say on behalf of Lori and I, thank you so much for your faithful service and excited for what, how God will continue to use you in California, and so we're excited about that as well. Curious to get an idea of the audience that I'm speaking to this morning, so I'm going to ask you a couple questions. First of all, here's the first question. How many of you would raise your hand and say Christmas is your favorite time of year? Raise your hand nice and high if it's your favorite time of year. Okay, the majority of you, you say Christmas is your favorite time of year. Let me ask you another question. This is a little more revealing. How many of you would say that you have all of your Christmas shopping done? Raise your hand. Like nice and high. Wow, I'm like... Shot. All right, everybody look around. Keep your hands up. You ought to be proud of that. That's pretty amazing. Uh, for me, Christmas is my favorite time of year. I love everything about it. I love the songs. I love gathering together with other people. I just, 
I love the food, right? I love everything about Christmas. But here's the thing that, that I just want us to, to remember this morning is that I think the Christmas season highlights like how we're doing emotionally and even spiritually. Because as much for some of us, as much as it is our favorite time of year because we get to gather with family and, and we get to, we, maybe we love the lights and we just love the decorations and we, we love to see the smiles on our kids' faces, those of us who have children, for the presents that we, we get to see them open and, and all of the things go, that go on for those of us who love this time of year and it's our favorite time of year, for others, this is the hardest time of year. It's hardest. Because it reminds us of the people that maybe we've lost and we missed, right? For others of us, maybe it, it, it's hard because uh, relationally for different and various circumstances. And so you can be in this room and for some of you, this is your favorite time of year. But for others of you, this is the hardest time of year. And what I believe the Christmas season does is it reveals where we are emotionally and even spiritually. And I want to introduce you to a guy, he's going to be on your screen, his name is Abraham Maslow. Abraham Maslow. And Abraham Maslow was an American psychologist, and he lived from 1908 to 1970, and he was most famous for this. He was most famous for this theory, this, this thing that he came up with called hierarchy of needs. And in this hierarchy of needs that he introduced in 1943, what he did is he gathered together a group of people who he viewed as, as either successful in their workplace or, or intelligent uh, based on their IQ, and he gathered these people together and he studied them, successful people, intelligent people, and here's what he concluded. He concluded that all people have certain basic needs, and you see them up there. There is a physiological need, the need for food, the need for clothing, the need for shelter. There's a, a need of safety. This, I, there's a need to be loved and to belong. There's a need to have self-esteem or self-worth. And then he also determined that, that the pinnacle of this triangle of hierarchy of needs, there's this need for what he called self-actualization, which literally had this idea that this person having this fulfillment from realizing that they have achieved all that they believed that they could be. And so he came up with what he called this hierarchy of needs in 1943. But here's what I find interesting. Decades later, after this study, he wrote another book, and here's what it was called, The Farther Reaches of Human Natures. And here's what it acknowledged. It acknowledged after several decades after his first study that his subjects, the same group of people, the successful people, the intelligent people that he studied, that they were not satisfied in their own accomplishments or experiences. What he found was is that they were still looking for meaning, for significance beyond themselves. And here's what he concluded, and I find this so interesting, is that human longing can only be fulfilled in something outside of the individual. 
Now, Abraham Maslow, for all we know, I don't believe he ever came to Christ, but isn't it interesting that he concluded after this massive study, his life study, that human longing can only be fulfilled in someone outside of the individual. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And as you're turning there, let me give you some context of, of really where we find ourselves in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. During this time of Isaiah, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom of Israel was under Assyrian captivity under the king Tiglath-Pileser. And then you had the southern kingdom, which was not yet under captivity, being ruled by a wicked king who had no regard for God named King Ahaz. So northern kingdom under Assyrian captivity, pagan captivity. Southern kingdom not under captivity, but ruled by a godless king that was an Israelite named King Ahaz. And so what King Ahaz did, because he was fearful of the northern king, Tiglath-Pileser, in the, be, the northern kingdom being ruled by the Assyrians, because he was afraid of them coming in and overthrowing him, what he did is he made a treaty. He made a treaty with Tiglath-Pileser. And the story goes on as you go through the book of Isaiah that King Ahab, Ahaz makes this treaty and eventually what you find is the pagan activity going on in the northern kingdom falls and takes over the southern kingdom. But there's always in the book of Isaiah you'll find there's, there's this group, this remnant of people who believe in God, who follow God. And Isaiah throughout the whole book is calling people back to realize that their Savior, that the person who's, that their needs that they have are not met by a treaty or what they can do on their own or a pagan king or circumstances, but their Savior, their hope, the one that truly can meet their needs, is God Almighty. And in the midst of this tragedy that's going on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah gives this hope. In verses 6 and 7, in the midst of absolute chaos. See, you're here today, and some of you, you're like super pumped because Christmas is your favorite time of year. You're looking forward to family coming. You're looking forward to what your, how your kids are going to react to the things that you're going to provide for them or whatever your circumstances. You're like on cloud nine right now, and others of you are really down. You're discouraged. Because this time of year reminds you of what you've lost or what you don't have. And so I want you to hear today the hope in verses 6 and 7. Look at Isaiah 9. I gave you like plenty of time to get there, right? Look at verse 6. Isaiah says, here's the hope to Israel and to us today. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And I love this phrase. Like You ought to underline this phrase in your Bible. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
The title of the message this morning is The Greatest Gift. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. Here's the idea that I want you to walk out with this morning. Here's here's what I want you to marinate on today and this week, regardless of where you are on the spectrum emotionally and spiritually. And it's this, that Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that meets the greatest needs in your life. That Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that meets the greatest needs in your life. Jesus says that as He's come and He's living among the people there in Israel. In John 10, 10, He says, The thief comes to steal and destroy, but what does Jesus say? I've come that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. 2 Peter 1, 3 says, His divine power has granted to us, you and me, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. And as we look at this passage in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, I believe we're going to see four fundamental needs that we all possess and Jesus promises to fulfill. Four needs. Here's the first one. The need for counsel, because life's full of decisions. I want you to look at verse 6 of Isaiah 9, and look at what Isaiah says, and his name shall be called, would you say this with me, Wonderful Counselor. Say it again. His name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor. There is a need that we have in our life for counsel. Why? Because life is full of decisions. It's full of decisions. I found this interesting as I was studying this passage of Scripture. I came across this that Robert Wesleyan College ran this journal, I thought this was so interesting, that stated that the average amount of remotely conscious decisions an adult makes each day, get this, this is how many decisions they determine, I don't know how they came with it, but but this average amount of decisions that an adult makes each day equals about 35,000 decisions. You're like, I had no idea. 35,000 decisions. Researchers at Cornell, another study, found that people make an average of 226.7, I have no idea what the .7 is, but 226.7 decisions about food alone in a day. Some of those good, some of those not so good, right? Some of you are literally right now saying, man, I wonder what we're going to have for lunch. 226. Decisions about food alone in the day. Get this, the average person will make, this is decisions over a lifetime they averaged out, 773,618 decisions over a lifetime, and they came up with this as well, and will come to regret about 143,262 of those decisions. I find it interesting That Isaiah, in describing the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is going to come, in the midst of Israel's despair at this point, in the midst of having pagan king over them, God says that there's someone who's coming, and His name, first of all, is Wonderful Counselor. Because you you and I have a need for counsel. Because every day we're faced with a myriad of decisions. 
What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where, where am I going to buy? What am I going to buy? What am I going to believe? What job and career am I going to pursue? Where am I going to spend my time? Who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? How am I going to say this or not say this? Are we going to have children? Are we not going to have children? What are, I mean, our family alone has a bunch of decisions that still have to be made. We like have zero furniture. Those are, that's a decision I don't want to make. Like every one of us are faced every day with a myriad of decisions that affect our life. And Jesus promises to us today that we have a counselor who is wonderful. Why? Because we have a need for counsel because we're faced with decisions every day. And here's the reality. We're all looking and listening to counsel from someone. Every one of us. Every one of us. You're looking and you're listening for counsel. Believing in that person that he or she or whatever it is is the most qualified to give you what you believe you need and want. I remember when I was in college and I was playing basketball and in a game I was... I was uh, going in to make to drive towards the basket and a guy went to swipe the ball and when he went to swipe the ball he missed the ball and his finger literally went in my eye and in that moment I didn't care about the basket I didn't care about traveling I cared about nothing I literally dropped to the floor and that's all I remember and I remember holding my eye and being in extreme pain they rushed me to the emergency room where I had to get my eye checked out. I couldn't see out of my right eye because that guy's finger went right inside my eye. And here's what's interesting. I'm in the emergency room. The doctor comes in. And I, and not one moment, said to myself, you're not qualified to look at my eye. This is my right eye. This is my dominant eye. You're not qualified to look at my eye. I had extreme confidence in that doctor to make the diagnosis and to execute the game plan that he came up with when he looked at my eye. And even though it was my eye, not his, probably looked at a hundred eyes that day. Even though it was my eye and not his, what motivated me to say, I have confidence in you. I believe your counsel and not mine was that I had a belief in his competence. I had a belief that he knew more than I did. I had a belief that he could take care of this situation in a way that I couldn't. I had a belief that he knew more than I did. And what I want us to understand this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture and we look at this idea that we have a need for counsel because life is full of decisions, what I want us to understand and maybe remind ourselves, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, and if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, what I want you to understand for the first time is that Jesus is qualified to meet your need for counsel. He's qualified. Because what does Isaiah say? He's not just your counselor. He's your what? Your wonderful counselor. See, Jesus 
What I love about the story of Christmas is that Jesus came from heaven, put on human flesh, came down to this earth, allowed himself to grow, to come in the form of a baby, to grow up, to live this life for 33 years. Why? So that he could not only be called Wonderful Counselor, but today we could look at him and say, Jesus, you are my Wonderful Counselor. Why? Because of the man, you lived the life that you desire me to live. He just didn't sit up in heaven and say, I want you to call me Wonderful Counselor. No, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put on human flesh. I'm going to come down to this earth. I'm going to live the life that that God required a perfect life. And I'm going to live the life that I desire you to live. I mean, I can see Jesus today as my wonderful counselor. Why? Because He's my example. He lived the life that you and I couldn't live a perfect life so that He could die on the cross for our sins. He could raise Himself from the dead so that today, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with God, a home in heaven, and you can call Jesus wonderful counselor. I mean, that's, isn't that what Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 says? That Jesus is described as a high priest who wasn't unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, that we have a high priest. We have someone that we pray to every day. We have someone who's interceding on our behalf before a holy God who actually understands what you're going through. He can sympathize with your weaknesses. It says in every respect he's been tempted as we are. He's been tempted with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, as, as 1 John puts those our sins in categories. We see that in Matthew 4 when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And verse 16 says, let us then draw near to God with confidence, knowing we'll receive grace and mercy in time of need. Man, today, I can experience and believe, remember that Jesus is my wonderful counselor, that He provides that need for counsel because life is full of decisions, because He knows what it's like to live this life as a man. But remember, Jesus is also God. And He knows you better than you know yourself. He's not just your example. He's an expert on you. Like, think about that. He's an expert on you. He knows you better than you know you. I want you to turn to Psalm 139. Keep your finger in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And I want you, just if you're taking notes this morning, just to write Psalm 139 next to this idea of Jesus being your wonderful counselor, that He fulfills the need for counsel because life is full of decisions. Write down Psalm 139 and then write also the verse that I just made reference to, Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. And I just want to touch. I don't have time to read all of Psalm 139. That's for you to do this week to remind yourself of how wonderful your counselor is, Jesus. But I love how the psalmist says, you searched me and know me in verse 1. Look at verse 3. You're acquainted with all my ways. Verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Get this. Some of us, we think about ourselves all the time. Right? Right? No one's like honest. Like, yeah, 
We think of ourselves all the time. Here's what I find interesting. God thinks about us more than we do. How vast is the sum of them? Look at what he says, verse 18. If I would count them, like if I would actually take time to count all the times, God, that you think of me, they are more than the sand. It, and, then, and then the psalmist says, I awake and I'm still with you. Like, this, this has got to be a dream. That God actually thinks of me this much. But he says, when I awake, it's reality. Jesus is your wonderful counselor. He fulfills the need that you and I have for counsel in the midst of all the decisions we make. And I can trust Him as my wonderful counselor because He was my example. He's my expert. He's given me the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says, the Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth. He's given us the Word of God for help. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching. In other words, to help me identify with what's wrong, for reproof, for helping me clarify what's right, for correction, for correcting me when I'm wrong, and for training in righteousness. So in order that I can develop godly habits. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, we have no reason what so ever to believe that our greatest counsel is found in Jesus Christ. No other thing and no one else. That that need that you and I have to want to have counsel, that need, even as, as Abraham Maslow kind of described it, this need for self-actualization, to be all that I can be. And how am I going to get there? Jesus fulfills that in His counsel. His counsel. Here's the second need we have. And it's the need for confidence because life is full of demands. Not just the need for counsel because life is full of decisions, but we also have a need for confidence because life is is full of demands. Look at verse 6 again. Isaiah says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And then I want you to say out loud the next description of Jesus that's given. He's not only Wonderful Counselor, but what else is He? Mighty God. He's the Mighty God. That word for mighty literally means a hero or a champion. Like, He's our hero. He's our champion. I remember when I was growing up, uh, in Orlando, um, man, it's kind of it's kind of pitiful to say right now, but I'm going to say it. My greatest hero, like the person that that in some ways idolized, was Michael Jordan. Now I know some of you already like I found out already when I first met with you. You got UNC fans, Duke fans, Wake Forest fans. Put all that aside, all right. And I remember like literally decorating my room wall to wall with posters, with pictures from magazines. When my parents built their house, I got to choose the carpet color in my room. You know what I choose? Like Chicago Bulls red. Like that was the carpet color. God bless my parents. And I remember what I idolized about Michael Jordan is that he was a champion. Like six championships. And I remember idolizing that. In some ways, as I look back, probably in an unhealthy way. But I remember 
idolizing what he could achieve, what he did, all of those things. And here's, as I think about that and I reflected about that when I understood that this word mighty means hero or champion, that, think about it, one of the main criteria that we have on who is our hero is what they've achieved. Think about it. You probably have someone that you look up to that you might even categorize as your hero or your champion. And chances are, it's based on the reality of, I believe that they've achieved this. And then what do I do? Then I find that person, and then I place all my confidence on the person whom I have deemed my hero. That's dangerous. Because when I place someone in the place that only God can inhabit, the result will always end in disappointment. I've experienced that. You've experienced that? Where I've placed someone in an unhealthy place, in a place, honestly, that only God can be placed. And when I take an imperfect person and put them in a place that only a perfect being can reside, where only God can be, I'm always going to find myself in a place of disappointment. See, some of us are sitting here today and we're placing all of our confidence in our spouse. Placing all of our confidence in our spouse. Believing that he or she is our mighty one in our life. Placing all of our confidence in our boyfriend or our girlfriend. Placing all of our confidence in a boss that we work for or in a leadership of some sort placing all of our confidence in our pastors whoever it may be and what I'm here to tell you is that's a dangerous place to be because I don't know if you realize this or not but none of us are perfect that's free none of us I'm going to fail Lori I'm going to fail you you're going to fail one another And if our confidence is being placed in someone or something that only God promises to be, God's the one who promises to be our hero. God's the one that promises to be our champion. Then we're in a rough spot. Matthew 7, 24-27. You may remember this, this parable that Jesus gives about the wise man and the foolish man, right? And the foolish man builds his house, his life, on sand. Things that are shifting. And the rains fall and the winds come and they beat on that house. And what's the result? It falls flat. Right? Then Jesus talks about this house, this life that's built on the rock. And we know that rock being Jesus. And what happens? Same rain, same winds blow. But what happens to that house? It doesn't fall. Why? Because of the strength of the house? No. Because there's different rain and wind? No. Because that house was built upon the rock versus the sand. And Jesus in this, or or Isaiah in this passage of Scripture describes Jesus as our mighty God. I want you to repeat this after me. This first phrase. You ready? I'm not strong enough. Say that. Say it again. I'm not strong enough. But Jesus is. I'm not strong enough. But Jesus is. And Jesus is strong enough 
because he lived a perfect life for you. Jesus is strong enough because he rose again from the grave. Jesus is strong enough because before he rose from the grave, he died on the cross for your sins and he is victorious and he is our hero and he is our champion. And he provides the need that you and I have to have confidence. To have this as the need that Abraham Maslow described. I mean, I have this need for self-esteem. I want to feel like I can achieve something. And what we need to do when we come to the cross is we come to a place where we realize I am nothing, but Jesus is everything. And isn't it interesting that even someone who never had a relationship with God knew that we had a need. We had a need that needed to be filled. This need that, God, I need to be fulfilled. This need, God, that I need to feel important. And I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ met that need. He met that need for confidence. That when you go out in the various demands that you are experiencing right now or you will experience, that you can say, wait a minute. I'm at a place of weakness. I'm at a place of realization that I can't do this. But I'm here to tell you that's a good place. It's a good place. And every time God has had me in one of those places, He's had me there so that I can remember, Johnny, you're not mighty. But Jesus is. That need that you right now, that need that you have to have confidence to say, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? That you can rest in the reality that Jesus, the one who met your greatest need, can also meet this need. So point your eyes to the place where they need to be and the one who will never fail you. Here's a third need. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 6. He says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. What's the next one? Everlasting Father. This provides the need that we have for compassion because life is full of disappointments. We not only have a need for counsel because life's full of decisions, not only a a need for confidence because life is full of demands, but man, we have a need for compassion because life's full of disappointments. And this term everlasting father literally means this. Jesus is the father of eternity. Now it's important that you understand this, that that this passage of Scripture isn't contradicting the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not saying that Jesus is the Father, but what it's describing is that Jesus has always existed. He's the Alpha and Omega, as Revelation says. He's the father of eternity. And here's what this reality helps with. The worries of life. The worries of life. My grandma, who's now with Jesus, when she would come over, she had this little chihuahua. Now, I'm not going to say what I feel about little dogs because I'm sure that in this audience there's many of you that have them. But this little dog would come, and this little dog was so nasty. This chihuahua. Like, that's literally what the chihuahua looked like nine times out of ten when my grandma would bring him over. And we had in our house a German shepherd. Now, what I love is that this chihuahua would always be barking and acting like so big and so strong 
as our German shepherd would have to be taken out and put outside in the backyard, and there was a sliding glass door separating the ruthless, mean chihuahua and our docile German shepherd. So the German shepherd would go out when the chihuahua would come in, and that chihuahua would just sit there and bark and growl and be mean and nasty to our German shepherd that was actually named Samson. Like just be, that's an actual picture of him. And being mean and nasty to, and, and Samson just looked at it and was like, probably didn't even know what this thing was. But it's growling and barking and everything. Now remember, the sliding glass door was separating the German shepherd from the chihuahua. And after a while, I would just get tired of hearing this dog bark. Get tired of seeing this dog growl and acting like it was so big and bad. So I would just sometimes open up the sliding glass door. It was so interesting. As soon as I opened up the sliding glass door, the chihuahua took off, literally took off, in where my grandmother was staying, and we saw hide nor hair of it until the German shepherd went back outside. So interesting. Big and bad and growling. When there's a sliding glass door between. Now here's why I tell that story. is because thankfulness is like the German shepherd. And worry is like the chihuahua. Think about it in your life. You have a need for compassion. You have a need to, to, to think that someone loves you. Because life is full of disappointments. And what happens so often in our life is our mind is consumed with worry. It's barking. It's growling. It seems like the biggest thing in our life. But thankfulness is like the German shepherd that we owned. Because, and worries like the chihuahua. And as soon as we make the decision, I'm going to let thankfulness into my life, worry all of a sudden runs away. Think about it. When's the last time when you've struggled with worry? Maybe it's right now. And you're worried about a numerous things that, that I don't have time to mention. But just think of the worries right now that you may be having right now that are in your mind right now. Think of those worries. They're barking, they're growling, they seem huge. When's the last time you opened the door and said, in the midst of my worry, let me think about how much I'm loved. Let me think about how much I'm loved by my wonderful counselor by my mighty God, by my everlasting Father. Let me open up the door to that and let me actually take time to be thankful. Some of us need to be reminded about that. That in the midst of our worry, let's take time to remind ourselves how much we are loved by a God who loves us infinitely. There's nothing wrong with saying we have a need for compassion. When disappointments happen, then worry grows and worry barks and worry growls. The way that we allow that worry to chase off is by reminding ourselves, God, I'm loved. I'm loved by Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death on the cross. He rose again. He's the Father of eternity. So my worries may shake me up, but they don't take God by surprise. Here's the fourth need. The need for calm because life is full of disturbances. The need for calm 
Because life is full of disturbances. Look at the end of verse 6. We're going to do this again. You ready? You ready for the last one? It says, In His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What's the last description? Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Every king, including Ahaz, as I gave the context of this passage of Scripture, wanted peace and prosperity for his subjects. It's interesting that that word peace is the word, many of you know it, shalom. And the word for peace, shalom, literally means wholeness. To be made whole. And then there's this phrase in, the, in verse 7, and it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So he just doesn't describe Jesus as the prince of peace, the king of peace. But then he describes why we can have peace in him. Because there's coming a day where Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to make all things right and sin's going to be no more and he's going to rule and reign and he's going to wipe away every tear. I mean, you and I, let's be honest, we look for peace in so many things. So many things. We look for, look for calm in so many things. And when we don't place it, in the place where it can truly be found in Jesus Christ and what He's done for us and to remind ourselves of who He is as we've looked at today and that helping give us calm in the midst of disturbances. We find ourselves in a place that's always going to be lacking. I remember when I was church planting the second time and I remember when I would go on vacation and man I had so many worries is, is who's going to show up today right who's who's going to do this who's going to do this this problem that problem all of the different things that that go on with ministry and the worries and I remember I'd go on vacation and I'd be like I'm looking so forward to go on vacation because it's it's going to help me relax and it's going to help me to be calm and it's going to help me to find some peace here's what I found out real quick is even though I changed locations I still wasn't full of peace. You know why? Because I took me with me. And I was looking at a vacation or a time frame or a destination to give me what could only be found in my relationship with God. My relationship with Jesus Christ. And look at verse 1. Go all the way back. I'm sorry, to verse 6. And look at what he says. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Like he rules and reigns. And if he rules and reigns and has promised to be adequate enough and victorious enough to do that, then he also is victorious enough and mighty enough and wonderful enough. And peace promises peace so that he's qualified enough to rule over the government of your life. See, some of you are not experiencing peace because you're trying to do life on your own. Rather than coming to a place that God in His love is trying to put you to realize you can't do it alone. It's interesting that on that hierarchy of needs, there was also that need for safety, right? And Isaiah here says, you want safety? It's found in Jesus Christ. He's your peace. He's your calm in the midst of disturbances. As we close, I just want to give you this 
how do we embrace the greatest gift ever given? Like we can talk about all day how Jesus is the greatest gift that meets the greatest needs in our life. And that, that is an amazing truth that I hope you walk out with today. But practically speaking, how do we embrace that gift? Like how do I actually take it as my own and open it up and actually utilize it? Experience it. Embrace it. Here's the first thing. Repent of your sin and accept the gift. So you may be here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what God wants you to hear today is that Jesus Christ loved you enough to live a perfect life for you, a life that you can't live. Your sin separated you from a holy God and has made you deserving of His judgment. But Jesus Christ came and He lived perfection for you. He paid the punishment for your sin on the cross. He rose again. So today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Him, your response is to say, God, forgive me of my sin. I accept your sacrifice for my sin. It's not what I can do. It's what you have done. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, some of us need to say today, Lord, I'm repenting of not looking to you for my counsel, of not looking to you for my confidence, of not looking to you for compassion, of not looking to you for my calm in life. God, I need to repent that I've been looking for for those things, those needs that you've wired me with to point me to you. I've been looking for those things in everything and anything else. Here's the second thing. Man, you need to memorize these verses. You actually need to recite these verses to yourself. Like have Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 just be something that's on a rotation in your mind when you're tempted to look for counsel outside of God and His Word and the Holy Spirit guiding you. To recite these when you're looking for confidence in something or someone else. Recite these when you're looking for compassion and love in something or someone else. Or looking for peace, for calm in something and something else. Recite these verses. Remember them. As you recite them, remember who satisfies your greatest need and man, let's rely on the Holy Spirit for His strength and His power. You and I can't do this alone. You know, safety, that need for calm, that need for confidence, that need for compassion, that need for counsel, that all of those things are found under the umbrella of the submission of God. And my prayer for you as it is prayer for myself is that we walk out of here saying we are going to submit ourselves to the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So when the rains come and the winds blow, we're protected not in our own strength, not in what we can do, but because we're under the submission of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what God wants. That's what He's provided through Jesus Christ. That's why we can celebrate Christmas. That's why we can gather into this place every week and worship Him because He's worthy. He's worthy. God, I thank You today for who You are. God, I thank You for what You provided through Jesus Christ. He's our wonderful Counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting Father. God, He's our Prince of Peace. God, may we worship you and place ourselves under the submission of you so that we find those things that our heart longs for that can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, would you stand with us? 
Thanks for listening to the Harvest Bible Chapel Winston-Salem podcast. For more information, visit harvestws.org.